This is the Spark Podcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Neil Rodas' career is nothing short of epic and spans such iconic franchises as Star Wars, Raiders, and Star Trek. But if you were to ask him about it, he'll tell you that he came into much of it accidentally. I recently had a chance to speak with Nilo about everything, from his early years working in Detroit's booming car industry, to his shift into filmmaking, and his friendships and collaborations with the likes of George Lucas, John Hughes, and William Gibson, among others. This is part two of our conversation. For part one, be sure to check out our podcast feed or visit us at sparkcg.org to listen and subscribe. Before we get into games, I, I need to ask about one more movie because it's one that's okay. near and dear to my heart. And it's one that, you know, you mentioned that if you walk away from a film with one or one or two or three images that are like cemented in your mind, it's a huge success. And Johnny Mnemonic is that movie for me. I remember seeing it uh, the year that it came out and it kind of, it just blew my mind because I, I knew the story. I was familiar with the story and you know, you have a vision in your mind of what something could look like. Like when you're reading it, you visualize something and then you see mm-hmm. it on the screen and you're like, it's like somebody cracked open your head and took all of the things out and put it all on screen. And I remember that movie kind of had that effect on me. And so I have to ask, like, how did you become involved with that project and what was the process of designing that film? So something happened in my movie career that I decided, can I swear? Of course, go for it. <laughs> Something happened in my in my movie career. I just said, hey, fuck it. I don't want to work anymore in this industry. And I quit. I went surfing for about three years. <laughs> you know, I just quit. The, the politics of maybe of movie making is so, you know, it's for another conversation. Um, so I went to surfing. That's all I did every day. And one day I got a call from John Lasseter. And John Lasseter, you know, uh, you know, uh, asked me, you know, can you drop by at the studio? The studio at that time was somewhere in Richmond. The studio it was called Pixar. I know John Lasseter from the from the days of Ireland because he was part of Lucasfilm. And you know, I remember arriving there still. You know, I have salt all over my my skin and my face and my hair and, you know, and he pitched me this story of Toy Story. And I'm going in and out of the story because I'm thinking, you know, there's a beautiful wave out there. I want to ride it. (laughs) And he said, Nilo, you know, it's a very simple, it's a very simple project for you. I have this character that Jeffrey Katzenberg is is not approving. And we're stuck on this thing and we're kind of like stuck on this groove and this record keeps jumping on that groove over and over and it won't advance. And according to him, Katzenberg is so tired of this thing and, and, and you know, he's threatening to pull production off. He said, can you look at this character and give me a clue of what it looks like because we can't seem to get it right. And I said, sure. He said, you know, um, can I just fax it? Because <laughs> I didn't want to. I didn't want to drive. You know, I was 
living in Napa Valley and he was in Richmond, California. And it, it was like an hour and a half drive. I said, yeah, you, you can just fax it. And I said, I work in an increment of a month. In other words, if I solve your problem in a, in, in a, in a minute, you still owe me a month. I said, uh, sure. You know, so, uh, went home that day, um, ran some sketches and I thought before I go too far into this, let me, let me send this to John and within two, three hours, John faxed me back. He said, stop, we're done. And there was, uh, um, a fax from, from, uh, Jeffrey Hansenberg saying, go with this, you know, and it was it was preliminary design, very rough design, but but the proportion and some of the details were already there. And John said, you know, let, let let's talk Turkey. We want to hire you as production designer. And we talked. I talked Turkey to Disney for almost a year, and nothing happened. And meanwhile, Johnny Mnemonic came up. Um. Disney wanted to pay me for a day. I said, no, you, you know, it was only a verbal agreement, but our agreement was for a month. So I uh, finally, they paid me for a month. And by that time, you know, uh, the production finally got going. I was now doing Johnny Mnemonic. And Johnny Mnemonic to me, Marina, was a heaven sent because I fell in love with movies again because the script was so beautifully written, you know, and to this day, I'm still in contact with, 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 uh, um, William Gibson who lives here in somewhere in Vancouver. And yeah, I, I met the director, the, the, the director wanted to meet me and I met him in LA. And I remember thinking, who is this guy and what got him this gig? Because I'm not seeing a director, you know, because it's, it's, it's hard to describe you. I know a director when I see one. You've <laughs> been around, was, yeah. You've been around enough to know. What's that? You've been around enough directors to know. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you, you you do, you know, and you immediately know what's at the core of this. I know what was the core of this. And and I know they didn't have the budget to pull this off. But does this director have a visual clue and technical know-how how to pull this all together? You know, and um, and he asked me, how how would I design this? And I said... It's not so much as how to design this, it's how to visualize this entire movie. This, the, the way the script is written is in between the lines. William actually never specify, if you read William's books, he never really specify what it looks like. He tells you what, what it feels like, but he never quite tells you specifically what it is. I remember reading um, 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 patterns. What was it called? Pattern recognition. 
pattern recognition. I know what street that is in London that he was describing. But yet, when I read it, I go, am I some in some parallel world? I know what he's describing. I know what that street he's describing in London. And I, you know, I, I, I remember asking William, said, oh, that's exactly the street in London. But the way he describes it, it's, be, it's in between lines, meaning it's up for visual interpretation. So when I met with Robert Longo, I really wanted to feel him out. Does he, does, does he have the wear it all to pull this off? Because this is an amazingly beautiful script, you know? And to me, the script was, to me, visually was only about heaven you know, which is the city under the bridge or the this cluster of um, tenements under the bridge. And um, I don't think so. You know, I, I you know, I, I, Robert has never directed a movie after that. You know, and, and, and I really wanted that movie to succeed. I wanted that movie to be a, a little bit more abstract because they didn't have the budget to do it together. And um, well, there is a there is an appreciation for it. I can tell you that much. I I certainly am a huge fan, and I know other other film buffs are also huge fans. We we can no, that's see great. we can certainly see what was intended, and it certainly comes through. And it's 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 one of my favorites. I really really am a huge fan of Johnny Mnemonic. So that's a great did, story. Did you know Did you know that um, before Keanu Reeves was cast for that it was going to be um um who did batman there were there was keaton and then there was oh, clooney uh, val kilmer val kilmer oh i didn't know that yeah val kilmer uh, stopped by for a week and had you know stayed with us for a week and uh, at that time we were i, I was con building construction already mm -hmm. but we didn't have a star Wow. And we, I, oh yeah, <laughs> we were spending money. We didn't have a star. We didn't. And, and, um, I remember, um, um, TriStar contacted my agent and said, you know, um, we would like to buy Nilo out because, um, you know, to, to, to be accredited, uh, Canadian content, we need, so many points and Nilo holds two points as a production designer. So if we hire a Canadian, uh, a local production designer, that would buy us two points. And my agent called me and said, you know, would you be willing to walk away from this movie? And I said, sure. And I said, you know, I owe a mortgage of my house in in Northern California, of this amount of money, can they pay that off? Everything is negotiable in movies. <laughs> and they said, uh, no, that's too high. And so, well, that's my, you know, if you want to buy me out. But um, my daily direction from that movie, Marina, came every day from William. Wow. 
Yeah, it was not from the director. It came from William. So, okay, William, I have this scene on so-and-so. What is he holding in his hand? Because the director can't tell me. And he said, oh, he's holding this and this and this, and he's probably using this kind of pen. And I'll go, okay. Okay, on this scene, William, and I would ask him. I would bring out all of these details from him. Normally, I would get that from a director, or at least the director would say, you know, give me some clues. But this director could not, could not communicate. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, difficult. So. Oh. Anyway, that was it. Um, so, you, you know, you alluded to it a little bit that EA had called you to come up and, and do a talk. And I know that you have been working in video games for a number of years and you've had your hand in a couple of different projects. How did that, how did it go from doing a, just a talk at EA to actually working there and, you know, delving into video games? Um, so the, 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 my career, when I look back, has been a series of wrongs more than it is a series of rights. I never really planned to become a car designer. I became one. I never planned to design movies. I became one. Um, when I came to EA, you know, they said, just talk about your, you know, whatever you've been working on. And I said, okay, you know. And so, you know, I arrived here and typical uh, January, dark, gloomy day, and I fell in love with the city. And after the talk, they, EA said, you know, why don't you come and work with us? I said, I don't know anything about the game. I've never played a game in my life. I doubt if I ever will. It's just not my thing. You know, and at that time, I was still with John. And it was difficult to say goodbye to John, who's been very accommodating to me. Mm-hmm. And um, although we have not worked, uh, we have not produced a movie in almost a year and a half, I was getting antsy. Um, so um, EA said, why don't you come and work with us? You know, think it over. Um, so the following day, I called John, and John was... You know, I said, no, 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 stay with, you know, hang in there. We're going to do something. I wasn't convinced that John was going to do anything. Um, at that time, I, you know, I, I I don't know what it is, Marina. I guess when you have too much money, you don't really care about arts anymore. Mm. You know, um, uh, I remember doing a pre-production scheduling for John to produce this movie in New York. And I was in New York for about six months um, to try to put together a, a production for him. And, and I know the specific reason why we were in New York. We had no other reason other than this. His son was in New York. Now, that's not a reason to go to New York to make a movie. You know, because I always thought this movie can be shot anywhere. You know, and it's a very simple movie. And it was made complicated by the fact that we had to go to New York and eventually um, Disney shut down the production. Now, um, EA, um, I I wasn't sure what EA really wanted from me. 
other than, you know, it's interesting to have this guy talk about movies and because the game has something to kind of have something to do with visuals and movies in parallel with movies, I kind of get it. But the the um, experience is very different. Uh, and I never got into the movies uh, and into the games. Um, so when when I couldn't get the feel from John that he was willing to go make another movie again, I decided to accept uh, EA. And at EA, um, you know, shortly after... Mm, need for speed i pitched them an idea that kind of took them by surprise and and because of that idea don matrick put me into worldwide you know i was no longer making games i was now being shipped all over the world to interface with um, other studios I remember asking him, you know, what do I do? I mean, what am I doing for Worldwide? And he said, oh, you know, you sprinkle your magic. <laughs> and I said, for how long? And I said, well, you know, for as long as you want. And, you know, so he shipped me wherever we had studios. I would spend time there. And, um, you know, I lasted seven years. And after seven years... Um, I said goodbye and didn't know what I was doing. I was going to be doing. I knew I was going to live in Vancouver. And shortly after I left, my boss, Rory Arms, also quit. And uh, he asked me, you know, why don't we work together? And he came up with this idea of uh, doing uh, stereoscopic 3D for movies. And that's, in fact, what we did for the, for the next four years of our lives. Yeah. You know, so, um, but uh, 3D is not really important. It's not a major component to successful movie. It's, it's a trick. It's a fad. And I told Rory this from the beginning, that, you know, we'd be lucky to have a three-year life. You know, in three years' time, people will get tired of this. This is not like color. This is not like music. This is not like visual effects. This is this is not an essential part of the experience of movies. But we survived for five, four years, five years. I, I'm I'm really curious um, because. Earlier, when you were talking about um, John Hughes and the Project The Bee and the music and how you were sort of inspired by this piece of music. And I'm curious in general, like you've worked on so many different productions over the year and so many different roles. Where do you find inspiration? Like when you're, when you're, when you're designing a project, what, what, what do you, do you look at stuff to be inspired or do you sort of just pull things out of thin air? Like how do you find inspiration? You need to live in that guy's soul. Why does he want to do this? I, you know, I'm trying to get in, into his eyes. Why this movie in particular? 
what's what's the abstraction for him what's what why why does he want to put three years of his life into this you know and, and three years is a lot of time and in three years time as a director you could get hurt you could you you could you could kill your career or make your career why this so i start with that now if i don't get that there's nothing i can do to help him because not now i'm just kind of coloring by the number i i wouldn't have a clue you know so unless i know that you know uh, listening to William about um, Johnny Mnemonic, I get it. And it was only because I talked to William that I go, okay, I think I'll stay here and do this. Um, so it's really important to see it from their point of view because they're putting a, a, a lot at risk, personally, these people, the, the directors. And, you know, I, I want to know, number one, is he a yeller? Because <laughs> I don't like yellers. <laughs> um, what, what books do you like? What books, what books remind you of this? What's the abstraction of this movie to you? You know, what music do you hear? Who's, comp- what uh, who, uh, who's the composer you have in mind when you read this? You know, tell me a movie at, at, to watch, even abstractly. It had nothing to do with this. Tell me which movie to watch so I can get un- behind your lens to understand why you like this, you like this script or why you're doing this movie. And slowly, you know, form a language with him and... You know, the trick is if you have a shorthand with him, like that music, you know, because he wrote that uh, script from that specific uh, music that I immediately picked up. It doesn't, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's wavelength, <laughs> you know. So I struggle to get that out of the way as quickly as possible. And, and then how do you start to actually design? Like, do you, do you do everything by hand? Like, do you draw things out? Do you make notes? Do you go through, you know, various iterations of sketches? Like, how do you actually, like, sit down to do the work? Um, so usually, um, if not with the director, uh, directly communicating with the director, I would try to isolate the most important component of this movie. From, from a story point of view, and then from a visual point of view. And usually, Marina, they're one and the same, you know? And then I target that, that cannot fail. That cannot fail. And I physically point to myself and said, I will do that. The rest of my crew will do every other thing. Every other set I will give to so-and-so and so-and-so. This one is mine. You know, and 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 if if I'm not able to communicate to the director, I go out of my way to communicate to him visually that this is the scene, this is the set that you want. 
This is the set that people will remember you for. This is the, these are the visual, these are the elements, these are the scene. When the two of them are talking, this is what you'll be remembered for. I, I'm really uh, curious if there had ever been, if there, if there has ever been a, a design that for you was, you know, perfect or, or, or really important or that you had found an attachment to that didn't make it to the final project? Oh my God! <laughs> there are truckloads. I, I will, I will tell you the ones that I succeeded. You know, um, Leonard, Leonard Nimoy. When we were doing Star Trek Four, he is um, um, a very private person, and he grew up in on studios. He is comfortable inside the studio, very uncomfortable outside very uncomfortable being recognized and he's a very recognizable person. So he tends to be more private. And in the, the, the beginning of that production, I started pitching in the idea of shooting on location. And he said, you know, for the first time we're talking about being in, in present day earth. Why are we not in present day earth? And, you know, he said, like, what present day earth are you talking about? He said, in the middle of San Francisco. The bird of prey crashes in San Francisco, but we're never in San Francisco. You know, so uh, the movie opened up because we were shooting in San Francisco and that was a hard sell. You know, there was a hard sell for Leonard and it was a hard sell for Paramount because every time you go into, uh, into location, you multiply your production costs. Now you're talking hotel, now you're talking airlines, and now you're talking cars, and now you're talking union. It just exponentially become very expensive to make that movie. But uh, Leonard capitulated in the end, and I thought that movie breath had, had a breath that no other uh, Star Trek had because we went on location. And I will only use that because it's a positive experience. Yeah. <laughs> and I have there, a there have been other designs where, you know, like um, I had, I discovered El Marco brand felt pen. I don't know if you, you know that brand. I don't know. It has the reddest red marker ever. And I fell in love with it. It's just incredibly vibrant red. But nothing in Star Wars, Star Wars is red. That's so true. <laughs> nothing. Everything is black and gray, and you know. So I started, I started designing this thing that didn't exist, and I called it the Royal Guard. And I started designing the Emperor only walk by himself. You know. So the first introduction of the Emperor, he comes down this shuttle, and he is by himself, and he's greeted by Darth Vader. And I pitched the idea, and, and, you know, I actually did not pitch. I should just started sketching this idea, and George said, who are these people? Who are these purple and red people behind the emperor? And he said, oh, that's his retinue. I said, what are you talking about? Where is that in the script? Where is that in our conversation? And finally he said, where is that even in your budget? Because I was doing costume design, and I said, 
looks interesting though, doesn't it? Everything is black and white. He is black. Darth is black. The stone trooper is white. But and there is no import of the the grand entrance of 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 the emperor. And if he was a pope, he'd there'd be a parade of cardinals behind him. <laughs> and George said, "Are we back again to your?" Seminary days, Nilo. <laughs> and, you know, so the movie comes out with those. You know, it it did survive. It did survive. Maybe not when you were there, but it did make it to the end. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, you know, like like Princess Leia's slave girl outfit, right? Um, you know. That was not in the script in the beginning, and you know, it was fun visualizing Carrie Fisher half naked. I mean, who, who, um, I don't know if any boy, an American boy, or any any boy that did want to visualize Carrie Fisher as that. Anyway. Well, those are the successful ones. Well, and I mean, okay, now you brought it up, so I have to ask, because that that uh, that bikini is iconic, like completely iconic. Um, how did that how did that even come about? Um, I'm not sure how it came about. It, my visualization of it was a little bit more risque. Um, um, than George wanted to do. Um, um, And now when I go online and I see um, there are some, there's a, uh, I think it's called the brass bikini or the metal bikini or something like that. And where where, uh, fans um, imagine themselves as Princess Leia, including guys, including, you know, fat guys, including whatever, whatever size you are, <laughs> you know, dress as Princess Leia slave girl outfit, and I go, you know, I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't unsee this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fun. You're, you're looking for opportunity to leave uh, your, your signature. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, usually this is, this is a frolic. You've won. You pretty much won the game. You've won the production. You've, you're now designing this. Can I have fun doing this? You know, and I usually dare them into the director and producer into let's have fun doing this because it's a movie. Oh, exactly. You have to take some chances, and I mean, th- those chances are what make um, some of the most memorable moments. I assume it is memorable in a way that Disney will not ever allow uh, uh, an image of Leia dressed as as a slave girl. No toys ever. (laughs) Uh, Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're printing money anyway. It doesn't matter. I'm curious. So, you know, now you're at this point in in your career where you've worked in, you know, a number of different projects and in a number of different roles and, you know the ins and outs, and I'm curious. Like, what what do you look for now in projects? Like, I'm assuming people pitch things to you all the time. What 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 excites you? What what are you looking for? What would get you back to making movies? 
I don't think anything would get me back, um, Marina. Um, I, I enjoy movie as a craft, as I enjoy listening to music as, as, you know, this is just a handful of notes that are rearranged and, oh my God, it makes you weep. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I enjoy seeing talent come to fruition. You know, I'm, 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 you know, I enjoy being blown away by an emerging talent. Um, I enjoy talking movies now more than I enjoy chase movies or science fiction movies. You know, um, I, 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 I want to be seduced by the young John Hughes who only had a, a typewriter and a piece of paper and start writing. And the most economical way of, of, of entertaining you. And that's what arrested me to John Hughes in the beginning. You know, I want to learn how, how he does that. Mm-hmm. You know, George taught me how to build a very complicated box. John Hughes taught me how to open that box. <laughs> you know, and that box is basically just written words. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I enjoyed, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the two opposite of my career, you know, John and George. I'm curious if uh, you've ever considered writing your own stories. Um, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I write for myself. You know, um, the, the time that I had with, with John, he was very kind with his talent and his observation. And he, he said, Neil, write. You know, and tell me how you would shoot this. Tell me how, and, and he would mechanically tell me what is important and what an education, you know. But when I think, when I think of putting together, okay, here's a story for you, Marina. Um, there was there was this there was this book called Domo. In, it's a Japanese book written by Otomo Katsuhiro who did Akira. Mm. Okay. Um, that book was uh, handed to me before I left for Japan one day. And I stuffed it in my briefcase and on, on the way to Tokyo one day for a meeting with, uh, you know, money and budget and stuff with a Japanese company. I started leaving over the, the book on the plane. And what little I, can, I, I knew about that, mo- uh, that book was this would make a phenomenal movie. But I don't read Japanese, so I, I just surmised that it would make a really good movie. Now, I had a meeting with Bandai, the toy company, and I was trying to bring, uh, bring them to Amer- America to do a production with George. And during this meeting, somebody took a, a call during meeting. And you know, when somebody took a call during meeting, the meeting kind of stops and wait for that guy to finish his call, mm-hmm. right? And I started leaping over the book because I'm the only guy who can speak Japanese and everybody's talking Japanese among each other. And the guy next to me said, do you like that book? And I 
said, yeah, this would make a really good movie. And he said, that author is a very difficult guy to work with. And I thought, well, okay. I'm back in the U.S. A week later, that guy, it happens to be that he owns Bandai, the toy company. He said, um, do you mind coming back to Tokyo? So I went back to Tokyo. He said, can we would like to produce that movie if you can convince the director to give us the right to that movie. And I thought, what an interesting project. And I said, sure. So I met with the director and I told him how I would do it. And he said, you know, can you, can I come back with a script in 30 days? And uh, I came back with a script within 60 days. But I brought with me uh, David Lynch as uh, executive producer. I convinced David that this would make a good movie. I met David because David was supposed to direct Empire Strikes Back. And we maintain contact. Every time I'm in LA, I'm always seeing David. And every time David is at a Lucasfilm, you know, putting his movies together, I always hang out with David. So I asked him, you know, uh, I have this idea for a movie, David. And he said, you know, give me a scene. And I told him the scene and he goes, I'm in. I, I didn't even give him the punchline of that scene. He said, I'm in. So I went back to Tokyo. I now have production budget. I now have a prints and advertising. And I have David Lynch's uh, executive producer. All I need to do now is a specific window of time with a specific time frame, shoot this movie. How could I fail? I have David Lynch. I have production budget. I have prints and advertising. Which studio would possibly deny me? I lost the production. And that's why uh, I lost the production because of politics in L.A. Oh. And that's why. And, and you've heard this story many times. This has been said many, many, many times over in Hollywood. And that's why I finally just decided I quit until John Lasseter called me back. <laughs> okay, now you brought up David Lynch. I have to ask, how, how did you not design Dune? Um, that was before me. Oh, too bad. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah no, he he actually just finished Dune when George introduced him to me. Because that seems like a perfect marriage right there. Um, you know, David is a... I, I, I like David to actually produce smaller movies. You know, I, I like his smaller movies. Uh, movies that doesn't take financial risks are more interesting to me because the bigger the movie, the less risk it wants to take. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious as a, as a fellow Lynch fan, what is yeah. your favorite David Lynch? Do you have one? Uh, oh yeah. Um, um, Blue Velvet. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm a Mulholland Drive fan myself. <laughs> That's that seems to be more in my wheelhouse. Yeah, no, Mulholland Drive is also good, so, but um, yeah, 
And I'm curious, it seems like you really have sort of the pendulum has swung the other way. And you say that small movies are more interesting to you because they take more risks. And I'm, I'm curious about um, what, what now is there a film or a project or what are you what's, what's inspiring you now? Like, what are you seeing or reading or uh, watching that's that that's keeping you really interested and, and inspiring you? Well, um, last Christmas, I got a, uh, my younger brother gifted me, uh, um, an electric guitar and I'm, I'm looking at my left hand, you know, my fret hand that is, that has a cast on it because I ruined my, <laughs> my oh, <no>. wrist <laughs> playing guitar. Oh no. Uh, I enjoy music. I admire music, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not, and never will be a musician. So, um, I, I'm reading a lot. I'm not reading scripts because I'm completely out of the loop. I'm reading more books. Um, and movies drift in and out. And usually, um, have you seen vast of night? I have on Amazon. That oh, movie is amazing wonderful. movie. I agree. Amazing movie. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know, I love, I love, I love that movie. That kind of movie, that kind of movie making, go. I can get behind this. You know, how about this old man and a gun? Yes. <laughs> Another great film from a couple of years ago. You know, like like incredibly quiet, graceful movie. You know, so heartful. And and, and there's no violence to it, even though it involves guns. Mm -hmm. You know, it just involves humanity. You know, and me wanting them to get together in the end. You know, but such is life. The Spark Podcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org. We'll be back with another episode of the podcast in two weeks' time.